Chapter Three, Part Four of Lady Molly of Scotland Yard by Baroness Orsi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Irish Tweed Coat, Part Four. Well, why should I bore you by recounting the agonized suspense, the mortal anxiety which I endured for all those subsequent weary days, which at the time seemed like so many centuries? My own dear lady, the woman for whom I would have gone through fire and water with a cheerful smile, had been brutally assaulted, almost murdered, so the smiling porter assured me, and my very existence was ignored by the stolid officials, who looked down upon me with a frown of impassive disapproval, whilst I entreated, raged, and stormed alternately, begging to be allowed to go and nurse the sick lady, who was my own dearest friend, dearer than any child could be to its mother. Oh, that awful red tapism that besets one at every turn, paralyzes and disheartens one! What I suffered I really could not describe. But if I was not allowed to see Lady Molly, at least I was able to wreak vengeance upon her cowardly assailants. Mrs. Tadworth, by her disappearance, had tacitly confessed her participation in the outrage. Of that I had no doubt. But I was equally certain that she was both too stupid and too weak to commit such a crime unaided. Piatti was at the bottom of it all. Without a moment's hesitation I laid information against him through the medium of an interpreter. I accused him boldly of being an accessory to the assault for purposes of robbery. Unswervingly I repeated my story of how I had seen him in close conversation the day before with Mrs. Carey, whose real name I declared to be Mrs. Tadworth. The chief object of the robbery I suggested to be a valuable gold watch and chain, with the initials A.C., belonging to my friend, who had travelled with Mrs. Carey to Budapest as her companion, not her maid. This was a bold move on my part, and I felt reckless, I can tell you. Fortunately, my story was corroborated by the fact that the floor valet had seen Piatti hanging about the corridor outside number 118 at an extraordinarily early hour of the morning. My firm belief was that the wretch had been admitted into the room by that horrid Mrs. Tadworth. He had terrorized her, probably had threatened her life. She had then agreed out of sheer cowardice to deliver to him the proofs of his own guilt in the Palermo murder case, and when Lady Molly, hearing the voices, came out of her own room, Piatti knocked her down lest she should intervene. Mrs. Tadworth thereupon, weak and silly little fool, was seized with panic, and succeeded, no doubt with his help, in leaving the hotel, and probably Budapest, before the outrage was discovered. Why Piatti had not done likewise, I could not conjecture. He seems to have gone back quietly to his own room after that, and it was not till an hour later that the chambermaid, surprised at seeing the door of number 118 slightly ajar, had peeped in, and there was greeted by the awful sight of the maid, gagged, bound, and unconscious. Well, I gained my wish, and had the satisfaction presently of knowing that Piatti, although, mind you, he emphatically denied my story from beginning to end, had been placed under arrest, pending further inquiries. The British consul was very kind to me, though I was not allowed to see my dear lady, who had been removed to the hospital. I heard that the Hungarian police were moving heaven and earth to find Mrs. Carey and bring her to justice. Her disappearance told severely against her, and after three days of such intense anxiety as I never wish to live through again, I received a message from the consulate informing me that Mrs. Carey had been arrested at Alsarev, on the Austro-Hungarian frontier, and was even now on her way to Budapest under escort. You may imagine how I quivered with anxiety and with rage when, 
on the morning after that welcome news, I was told that Mrs. Carey was detained at the gendarmerie, and had asked to see Miss Mary Grenard from London, at present residing at the Hotel Hungaria. The impudent wretch! Wanting to see me, indeed! Well, I too wanted to see her, the woman whom I despise as a coward and a traitor, who had betrayed the fond and foolish trust of a stricken father, who had dashed the last hopes of an innocent man in danger of his life, and who, finally, had been the cause of an assault that had all but killed, perhaps, the woman I loved best in the world. I felt like the embodiment of hate and contempt. I loathed the woman, and I hied me in a fiacre to the gendarmerie, escorted by one of the clerks from the consulate, simply thirsting with the desire to tell an ignoble female exactly what I thought of her. I had to wait some two or three minutes in the bare, barrack-like room of the gendarmerie. Then the door opened, there was a rustle of silk, followed by the sound of measured footsteps of soldiery, and the next moment Lady Molly, serene and placid and, as usual, exquisitely dressed, stood smiling before me. "'You have gotten me into this plight, Mary,' she said with her merry laugh. "'You'll have to get me out of it again.' "'But I don't understand,' was all that I could gasp. "'It is very simple, and I'll explain it all fully when we are on our way home to Meta Vale,' she said. "'For the moment you and Mrs. Tadworth will have to make sundry affidavits that I did not assault my maid, nor rob her of a watch and chain. The British consul will help you, and it is only a question of days, and in the meanwhile I may tell you that Budapest prison life is quite interesting, and not so uncomfortable as one would imagine. Of course, the moment she spoke, I got an intuition of what had really occurred, and I can assure you that I was heartily ashamed that I should ever have doubted Lady Molly's cleverness in carrying through successfully so important, so vital a business as the writing of an innocent man. Mrs. Tadworth was pusillanimous and stupid. At Budapest she cried a halt, for she really felt unstrung and ill after the hurried journey, the change of air and food and what not. Lady Molly, however, had no difficulty in persuading her that during the enforced stay of twenty-four hours at the Hungaria their two roles should be reversed. Lady Molly would be Mrs. Carey, coming from England, while Mrs. Tadworth would be the maid. My dear lady, not thinking at the time that my knowledge of this fact would be of any importance to her own plans, had not mentioned it to me during the brief interview which I had with her. Then, when Piotti arrived upon the scene, Mrs. Tadworth got into a real panic. Fortunately, she had the good sense, or the cowardice, then and there to entrust the coat and watch and chain to Lady Molly, and when Piotti followed her into her room, she was able to show him that the proofs were not then in her possession. This was the scene which I had witnessed through the keyhole. But, of course, the Sicilian would return to the charge, and equally, of course, Mrs. Tadworth would sacrifice the Shuttleworths, father and son, to save her own skin. Lady Molly knew that. She is strong, active, and determined. She had a brief hand-to-hand -hand struggle with Mrs. Tadworth that night, and finally succeeded in tying her, half unconscious, to the bedpost, thus assuring herself that for at least twenty-four hours that vapid little fool would be unable to either act for herself or to betray my dear, intrepid lady's plans. When, the following morning, Piotti opened the door of number 118, which had purposely been left on the latch, he was greeted with the sight of Mrs. Tadworth, pinioned and half-dead with fear, whilst the valuable proofs of his own guilt and young Shuttleworth's innocence had completely disappeared. For remember that Lady Molly's face was not known to him or to his gang, 
and she had caught the first train to Cividale, even whilst Piotti still believed that he held that silly Mrs. Tadworth in the hollow of his hand. I may as well tell you here that she reached the frontier safely, and was quite sharp enough to seek out Colonel Grassi, and, with the necessary words of explanation, to hand over to him the proofs of young Shuttleworth's innocence. My action in the matter helped her. At the hotel she was supposed to be the mistress, and Mrs. Tadworth the maid, and everyone was told that Mrs. Carey's maid had been assaulted and removed to the hospital. But I denounced Piotti then and there, thinking he had attacked my dear lady, and I got him put under lock and key so quickly that he had not the time to communicate with his associates. Thanks to Colonel Grassi's exertions, young Shuttleworth was acquitted of the charge of murder. But I may as well tell you here that neither Piotti nor his son nor any of that gang were arrested for the crime. The proofs of their guilt, the Irish tweed coat, and the murdered man's watch and chain, were most mysteriously suppressed after young Shuttleworth's advocate had obtained the verdict of not guilty for him. Such is the Sicilian police. Mr. Shuttleworth, Sr., evidently knew what he was talking about. Of course, we had no difficulty in obtaining Lady Molly's release. The British consul saw to that. But in Budapest they still call the assault on Mrs. Carey at the Hotel Hungaria a mystery, for she exonerated Lady Molly fully, but she refused to accuse Piatti. She was afraid of him, of course, and so they had to set him free. I wonder where he is now, the wicked old wretch. End of The Irish Tweed Coat Part 4 End of Chapter 3